Hard to Believe is proud to be a part of the Cage Club Podcast Network. To find more of this and other great shows, head to cageclub.me. You can find the show on YouTube by searching Hard to Believe Podcast. If you'd like to support the show, go to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star review. Or you can support the show on Patreon by heading to patreon.com slash hardtobelieve. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at john at cageclub.me, or you can find me on Twitter at probablyrealjb. That's P-R-O-B-A-B-L-Y-J-B. The show is written and produced by me. Glad to see you up here, Matthew. I used to listen to people's prayers in here and out on the street. And people asking for God's help or justice or vengeance sometimes. See, it's always the same. Please, God. I thought that God let me hear the prayers so that I could answer. That's what I did. That's what I was trying to do, was trying to help people. But I am not what I was. Can't do what I used to do. Give it time. Whatever your new reality is, you'll adjust. When I heard all those prayers, all those suffering people, I thought it was God's voice. But I was wrong. All I ever heard was people in pain. And all he ever gave any of us was silence. So now you believe your calling to do what you do was a mistake? I was deluding myself. Maybe that's a good thing to realize, Matthew. Maybe it's time for you to stop. Oh, <laughs> no, Father. Uh... My delusion was thinking God had anything to do with it. I'm, I'm not as capable as I was, but I don't get to choose who I am. I'm daredevil. Not even God can stop that now. Okay, I've said before that I don't tend to have favorites, and that's true. But I do often cite Daredevil as my favorite superhero, which is in spite of the fact that Spider-Man actually means more to me, and I love plenty of other characters just as much as I love Daredevil. But I really love the premise of Daredevil, that his superpower is that he's blind and, like, good at martial arts. And yes, I know that his blindness heightens his other senses, which, okay, sure, but even then, his so-called superpower is compensation for a considerable handicap. I mean, it's not like Superman's ability to fly comes at the cost of him not being able to walk. But what makes Daredevil's alter ego, Matt Murdock, so interesting to me is that while most superheroes have two identities, one secret, one public, Murdock has a third. He's Catholic. How exactly does Murdock's Catholicism define his character? And more importantly, what does the specific portrayal of Catholicism in Daredevil stories like Frank Miller's Born Again say about Catholicism more broadly. Matthew J. Kressler has some thoughts on that topic. Kressler is an assistant professor of religious studies at the College of Charleston. His teaching and research areas include African-American religions, Catholic studies, religion in America, and theory in the study of religion. 
He's written about the portrayal of religion and especially Catholicism in popular culture, notably in a recent piece about Midnight Mass for The Atlantic. But he has a particular interest in the intersection of comics and religion, and he is currently working on an essay exploring Daredevil's portrayal of Catholic masculinity, which he was kind enough to let me take an early look at for the purposes of this episode. Today he joins me to talk about Daredevil and Catholicism. I'm John Brooks, and this is Hard to Believe. Welcome. Um, it's I'm I'm super excited to ha- have this have this talk with you. Uh, do you want to kind of introduce yourself before we get going? Sure, sure. Uh, my name is Matthew Kressler. I'm uh, associate professor of religious studies um, at the College of Charleston, and I would say generally I'm a scholar of religion, race, and politics in America. Um, but I focus uh, most of my attention on on Catholic history in the 20th century. And you also enjoy nerd stuff and i also partake in nerd stuff i am uh yeah my uh, i mean it's like where the professional bleeds into the personal or vice versa yeah like i'm an avid fan of comic books uh and um and uh science fiction and fantasy and and recently mm-hmm. horror as well so I, I kind of like run the gambit as far as like speculative fiction and um depending on the day you know that's either work or play <laughs> Yeah, I, I've thought about this question a lot recently um, because somebody asked me recently and I hadn't thought about it before. Um, so I, I grew up <laughs> I grew up on nerd stuff and, you know, um, into science fiction um, that, that's multi-generational and, you know, comics and, and all that sort of thing. Um, and someone, someone asked me, like, which did you become a nerd of first was it was it like sci-fi comics or was it religion and i'm like i don't actually know uh that's a that's a really good question let me ask you that um where did you start with uh sci-fi speculative nerd stuff or did you start with the interest in um in the religious landscape you know, it's it's hard to disentangle those for me. I I still consider myself weirdly Catholic. I grew up Catholic, and um, kind of the religious life uh, was kind of central to what it meant to grow up in the Kressler household. Um, and at the same time, uh, my dad and I were sitting down to watch Star Trek: The Next Generation, uh, <laughs> you know, every week. And I was reading all of his, you know first editions of Dune and Asimov and, and Tolkien and, um, and, you know, and my mom who is our youth minister was hand making Star Trek, the next generation uniforms for Halloween. So I, it really, they were blended together. Like, I think that like my religious life was a central part of my identity and it remains so today in different ways. Um, But the kind of, imaginative world um that science fiction and fantasy um and eventually kind of comic books and and horror like that imaginative world was also kind of like a central part of like who i was i was the you know i was the kid who was um kind of like 
the altar boy who was also wearing oversized Borg t-shirts when I was in fifth grade. So <laughs> <laughs> that gives you that that gives you a sense of of, of the entanglement. Right. I when did so um at some point in my life, I, I, I grew up with comic books, especially X-Men um, yeah. and, uh, and, and being into, you know, well, superhero movies weren't great at the time, obviously, right. but so like, you know, the, the Saturday morning cartoons and all that sort of thing and, and Batman, right. the animated series and, um, and Superman was a big presence in sort of my, uh, my, my pop culture life. The Christopher Reeve yeah. movies came out when I was young and, um, I certainly kind of knew in the background that there was a relationship between comic books and religion um, that was just, you know, deeper than simply, you know, these being sort of Greek myths. Um, Right, right. And it wasn't really until I think I started studying the Jewish diaspora uh, and that sort of thing and and, um, and realizing like, oh, wait, Superman is like super Jewish. Uh, And every single one of these writers and creators were also Jewish and like, oh, wait, there's more to this here. Um, When did when did you kind of have the revelation that there's a lot to unpack uh, in in the comic book world and in these stories and in these characters um, that also fit neatly into um, not even sort of a crossover, but like as a part of religious studies that there is uh, there's a strong element here. Yeah. I mean, I, I think similar to you, like it was something that I, I came to later in life, um, you know, comic, you know, in a sense, like superheroes as like a genre of thing were like part of like my cultural landscape. So I was like playing, you just saying that like brought me back to like playing X-Men with friends and like backyards yeah. <laughs> and watching Batman, the animated series. But um, I think now that you're like inviting me to think critically about it, like I think that up until really I was like in, in grad school, really like I, I think like most people kind of like kept these things bifurcated in my mind, right? Like Mm -hmm. there was like comic books, you know, and superheroes as kind of cultural artifacts. And there was religion capital R that kind of like operates in ways that, um, we're trained to think in a very narrowly kind of circumscribed way. And it was, and so I even like, I, you know, I fell in love with comic books, you know, when I was in like the actual, like comic books, like, you know, with paper, um, and, um, when I was in college, but it wasn't until I started thinking more capaciously about what religion is as a category and how we can both, both how it, functions in the world and how we can use that category kind of like analytically to think about the human experience. It wasn't really until I got to that point that I started, you know, thinking through the ways that religion and comics are kind of bound up together. I think I had such a, I had been so deeply conditioned to think about religion in this kind of like narrowly circumscribed, you know, like it's a set of beliefs with traditions that has a root in a particular place and time. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't until um, later in life that I started seeing it. But then, as I imagine you experienced, like once you see it, you can't unsee it, right? That's then <laughs> the way. That, then it's everywhere. Then you end up writing essays on on you know Daredevil <laughs> and Catholicism that nobody asked for, but you can't stop <laughs> thinking about. So, 
well, before we get to that, I, I, I'm, I'm interested then um, for what your definition of religion is. I this is something I, I'm, I've um, mm. actually what we're talking about today has has a relevancy to two things that I uh, two questions that I ask uh, at the beginning of all of my courses um, when I do my sort of icebreaker thing, which is like one of them is who's your favorite superhero and why, and the other uh, is is what does religion mean, right? And it's uh, right. it's especially hard to get high schoolers to answer that question because it's yeah. just a big sort of word word salad of like belief totally. in a higher power or something, and um, yeah. I'm like, no, you don't even need that. But uh, <laughs> what <laughs> what have you decided? Uh, what what is your what is your working definition then um, of of what religion actually is? Lord, this is such a, you know, because you do it yourself. It's such a trick to ask anybody who teaches religion. So my instinct in answering the question is to say that I think, I think, I think, um, you know, when I, when I'm talking about religion, there are kind of two ways that I would use the word, you know, one is like, I use the word religion to kind of identify and talk about historically contingent traditions that kind of emerge and develop in particular ways among human beings over time. And so that, um, you know, would be the way that I think, to some degree, we think of religion kind of generally, right? Like, so if I talk about Catholicism and call it a religion, you know, I'm using the word religion in that context to refer to a kind of historically contingent thing that humans Mm -hmm. have kind of worked on and continue to work on and that changes over time. you know, and like you kind of alluded to, like that isn't necessarily dependent on a particular belief content, right? Like, but is like a kind of a mode of kind of cultural production and human sociality that has a history and kind of orients itself to kind of, you know, the world in a particular way. So that's one way of talking about religion. I also talk about religion as a kind of, term that we use that we can apply to a whole host of phenomena to help us to kind of like better understand certain aspects of what it means to be human. Um, So in that case, like that's, that's a way, you know, so when we're talking about comic books, we can talk about religion in comic books, which is like the first way I was describing the use of religion, right? Like where do we see Buddhism? you know, in, um, you know, uh, Dr. Strange, or where do we see Presbyterian Christianity and Batman or whatever, you know, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Um, where you can talk about kind of like historically contingent traditions showing up in things. Um, but I also think we can think about comic books, or superheroes as religious in if we think about religion as this kind of like broader category of analysis that helps us understand, um, you know, how humans and actually how both human and non-human entities, for instance, can take on the status of more than human, right? Or more than natural, right? Um, so this is, I'm going to stop talking now because I'm getting very professory, but like, I think, <laughs> it's important. I think it's important to think about religion, like uh, for me, and this is like, you know, me staking my claim in religious studies, you know, you know, it's not either or. It's not like religion is a category of analysis developed, um, you know, in the modern era, or religion is a word we use to describe historical traditions. It can be both, right? Depending on the context, depending on how we want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's complicated. <laughs> is the answer? I, yeah, and, and you know, of course, students always want a very simple, like one sentence definition they can write down in their notebooks. But yeah, I, I tend to do what you just did um, when asked. Right. Right. I mean, to get, I feel so since I feel since I can like literally see myself like floating up into the clouds. Like I'll use an example. I'll use a concrete example. Right. Like so. When I try to challenge my, you know, so I teach comic books in a variety of different contexts, like in my religious studies classes. Mm -hmm. And when I really want to challenge students to think about religion differently, I challenge them to think about, you know, how we can talk about comics as having a function for people that religion that we often think of as the exclusive domain of religion. And Mm -hmm. I think students initially kind of like really resist that. And they say, no, religion is about belief in a God. Or it's about a kind of like accessing some sort of metaphysical reality or supernatural plane. Um, But once I kind of press students to say like, well, okay, if we, if we try to, you know, if we, if we imagine as if we've never been introduced to the term religion and you were just an alien dropped down in the middle of 21st century, um, you know, U.S., and you are observing the ways people behave, the things that people elevate to the status, you know, of kind of high art that that is that the things that demand their attention for which they have, um, you know, positions that they will kind of root their identities in and fashion lives for themselves around. Like once you start thinking about religion in those ways, like it becomes kind of arbitrary to separate out some of the things that we think about as traditionally religious and some of the things that we would immediately kind of like say, well, well, that's secular. Um, you know, so, so that's kind of what I have in mind when I talk about religion, both is like, yes, mm-hmm. like religions are these things that have existed as discrete traditions in different ways over time. Um, but religion is also a category that I think has a unique capacity to help us see certain aspects of human life you know, in, in the ways that they function. Right. And that makes me think of like, there's the way that we kind of in the academics setting dump myth into like a third category from like, right. You know, like religion, secular. And then this other thing that's like, uh, right. has the trappings of religion, but like, isn't religion anymore. Or like we should, you know, it's like not secular, but not religious, but sort of both. Um, right. Totally. And and it's it's funny how comics fit in there so neatly, right? Um, yeah. As as a sort of a, a secular religion or religious expression uh, within our own um, our own cultural framework, which is right, um, which is fascinating. I I don't know if there's too many other cultures in history who've like specifically made a myth. Uh, or a mythos that's like not religious in the way that our comics are, right? It's it's, right, uh, right. it's a weird thing that we do, which is also why it's um, so fascinating. But totally. um, I, I, so so my students will an- answer who their favorite superhero is. Uh, it's like ninety percent is either Spider Man or Batman, right? right. Um, you get a few like Iron Man thrown in. Someone will do like a Green Lantern every now and again, and I'm like, okay, right. so you. You actually care about this question. Uh, <laughs> I will Instead always of just naming the first one that comes to mind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I will always tell them that the correct answer is Daredevil. Um, oh, will you really? I didn't oh, realize yeah, you were yeah. such a fan. Oh, yeah. This is great. This is great. Yeah. We're off to a great uh, start. I, <laughs> I, 
I love Daredevil. I've wanted to have this conversation for a very long time. Um, <laughs> and, and there's not too many people qualified to have it with. Uh, so I, I say to my students, like, his his two superpowers are that he's blind and Catholic, right? And, uh, and, and that's, that's what makes him so cool. Um, right. people are like Batman has no superpowers and I'm like, yeah, he does. He has, he has one capitalism and that is That's a superpower. Right. Um, Matt Murdock <laughs> does not have that same advantage. That's he right. just has blindness and Catholicism. That's uh, right. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, look, he's, he's obviously the most, um, you know, he's one of those, he's one of those characters that very clearly when Marvel designed him is like poking fun, uh, at a lot of the DC yeah characters um i love batman too i know know you do as well um i i I kind of wax and wane on batman um i get a little batman oversaturated sometimes but i still at the core um think there's a ton of really interesting stuff about that character um they do have a lot in common right they they do do have a lot in common in that they are you know you could argue that daredevil can like smell stuff real well or whatever but you know uh at the end of the day he's not especially super powered um any right. more than than batman is um so you, you said to me that like you like you love both of them so wh- why do you like i mean aside is it is it the reason that they are more grounded that you like them so much is it frank miller like what is the yeah. uh what's what's the commonality for you it's it's so funny because i like it's funny because i myself wrestle with the question of why I was first so drawn to Batman and then drawn to Daredevil because Batman was really, you know, like I said, I kind of grew up playing X-Men and, you know, watching, you know, Superman and and Spider-Man. But um, when I first started like actually buying comics and reading them, it was through Batman. Um, And when I eventually got to Daredevil, it was because I kind of came to discover that in some ways Daredevil is like a pure distillation of Batman as a character, like Mm -hmm. to the points that you just named, right. That like, it's more or less a human being who's committed himself to um, vigilantism. Right. Um, And, and that like, once you kind of like get a sense of like the, how these characters are like the suit, the, you know, if, if we want to say that like superheroes kind of like as a thing are at their most basic kind of vigilantes who wear costumes (laughs) and fight crime, then like daredevil and Batman are the kind of purest distillation of of that. And that immediately for someone um, like myself, like I would maybe guess like you um, uh, for whom that kind of vigilantism doesn't line up with their politics per se in the real world. It's like, it it raises really, it raises really interesting kind of like moral questions around like what is attractive. So, you know, I've thought of, you know, I've thought about like the attractiveness of Batman and Daredevil as like people who face a kind of corrupt world and can kind of neatly and quickly kind of like, fight to make a more just world without having to, you know, that's the fantasy of it, right? Like that they're able to do that work without the kind of messiness and moral ambiguity. Um, and, um, that, that would be required in the real world. But of course, like in the comics, and this is why I've like gotten even more fascinated in daredevil is like in the comics, like, even though this is often glossed over, like it's through violence. Right. And so I think that now, my relationship to to Batman 
when I was first getting into comics was much more of a, like, I was drawn to the art. I was drawn to like the crime noir genre. Like I found this stuff kind of like just fascinating to consume as cultural product. Now I find them really interesting reflections on the role of violence in the kind of maintenance of moral order in society. Um, and I think that, um, depending on who's writing, depending on who the creator is, you know, these stories can be really interesting meditations on those questions. Sometimes with Frank Miller, you know, they become these kind of really troubling kind of glorifications of vigilante violence as like, you know, just, um, and then, and you know, some of the people that I'm reading, you know, nowadays, like, I think some, some of the more interesting, like kind of like question raising around the legitimacy of that, that I find really compelling. Yeah. So let's talk about Frank Miller a little bit because no, let's you, get you, into it, man. Let's get in. <laughs> you bring up Miller a lot uh, in your in your essay on Daredevil, um, which have you published this anywhere yet or just your, I, ha- your, your... I haven't. It's in the it's in the works. So I'm, okay. I'm I, I'd say that I'm 95 percent confident that it will see the published light of day, but it's not yet out. So, OK, so we're breaking news here. Um... We're breaking news, man. This is cutting edge. <laughs> Comics uh, and religion. When, <laughs> when people talk about um, Batman and Daredevil, I, I think whether they know it or not, most of them are referring to the one that was reinvented by Frank Miller in both cases, totally. right? Totally. Um, so the, the the darker, grittier Batman that we see yeah. um, in different portrayals, but in like Tim Burton's and Christopher Nolan's and like every Batman since then, the animated series included, um, that really was kind of invented by Miller. Um, yep. Daredevil, Miller doubled down on a lot of, I think, what was already there for Daredevil right. and like less of a kind of reinvention. Um, right. But certainly as you as you talk about in your in your piece, um, the Catholicism element of it is something that Miller really uh, doubled down on and, and dug into um, and, and sort of explored. Um, you, you say this uh, very clever turn of phrase uh, that most of the time Catholicism serves as simply a stained glass window dressing um, for, for, for Daredevil. Um, yeah. And I think that's probably, you know, true for, for the, for the pre Miller uh, version of it. Um, but how, and like, in what important ways do you think did Miller take the win- window dressing and, uh, and turn it into a, a central, ingredient because the tv series on netflix like really plays into that i think even the the ben affleck movie um totally. does as well right um why why do you think miller is like this is the most important or this is a central element to this character that needs to be um explored that's really it's a really interesting question um and i think you're totally right like you know miller um, doubles down on these things that are central to murdoch matt murdoch and daredevil um and then the net, you know, the Ben Affleck movie first, and then the Netflix show even more so, like triples and quadruples down on this like image of Matt Murdock as a Catholic superhero. Um, I think so. I think that there are ways in which, you know, I, I think there are ways in which, like, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of play this out in two ways. I think Frank Miller is like playing up Daredevil's Catholicism in some ways that are conscious, like that um, kind of like. Uh, kind of 
humanize and concretize the character in ways that are really useful. Um, and then I also think I'm convinced <laughs> that there are like subconscious levels on which like Daredevil is even more Catholic than Miller intended <laughs> that I think is really compelling. So like, I mm. think that, um, I think that Matt Murdock, Matt Murdock far more than Batman, there's a specificity to like who he is and where he comes from as far as his kind of like ethnic class kind of racialized roots of the character, right? Like this is a, I think that Catholicism for Miller um, and here, you know, Miller's just saying he's a Catholic superhero, but I take Miller to be saying more specifically, like he's a working class Irish American Catholic from like a parish in you know, Manhattan, right? Like right. he's like Catholicism for Miller serves to like ground Daredevil as a very specific kind of Catholic. Um, and, and Miller is writing Daredevil um, in the late 70s and in the 80s when that specific meaning of Catholicism, you know, when people thought, you know, when people talked about the Catholic vote, quote unquote, or when they talked about kind of Catholics as a kind of population in the US, like in the 70s and 80s, what people meant by that term was a particular kind of white, right? A kind of white rooted in a particular kind of racial and ethnic history, um, and that had a certain kind of politics. Um, and in the 70s and 80s, that was a kind of politics of the kind of silent majority and the Reagan revolution. And, and so I, I see Miller as saying, you know, when, when Miller says he's Catholic, it means something very specific. Um, and Miller, this is where I think it's like even operating on an unconscious level. I think Miller really understood whether this was like by osmosis, like raised in like a culturally Catholic context or, or, or not, I'm not sure. But like he understood, I, I think that the, I think that like when I talk about stained glass window dressing, right? Like, <laughs> you know, in lesser hands, daredevil being Catholic means like, oh, they're like having a fight in a church <laughs> or like, right. oh, there's like, he, he's a Christ figure. Like there's a theme of redemption, right? So like these kind of like generic religious glosses that often show up in comic book and superhero movies. But like Daredevil, or sorry, uh, Frank Miller understood like, no, if Daredevil is Catholic, that means that like suffering and sacrifice and literal blood is like really important, right? That like these aren't, um, that like, that, that kind of like the wounds in his body and the kind of suffering that he absorbs and the violence that he doles out are like not inconsequential to his Catholicism. Like they're actually like part and parcel of what it means to be a particular kind of Catholic. Mm. Um, and, and I think that that again, like, so I, I'm, I'm really obsessed with Frank Miller's uh, and Frank, Frank Miller and David Masicelli's run um, born again from yeah. 1986, where yeah. that literally, that story like literally functions as a stations as a kind of retelling of the stations of the cross um, where Murdoch, you know, like is betrayed and, you know, follows in the footsteps of Jesus, right. Is betrayed. And then he, um, you know, is, uh, you know, stripped of his possessions and beaten and he falls three times and then he kind of like dies metaphorically and his body 
is kind of like held by his mother who, you know, <laughs> who's a nun. Right. So I think, I think Miller and, and actually I think that this is where the Netflix show totally gets this too gets that when you're talking about this actually gets back to your definition. What's your definition of religion? I think that what Frank Miller and the showrunners for the Netflix show get is that when you're talking about the Catholicism of daredevil religion is not simply a set of beliefs or a set of ideas, but it is a kind of way of being in the world. It is a kind of culture. um, And Miller and the showrunners really understand on levels that kind of like go beyond what they're even intending kind of what that way in the world is like what that culture looks like and smells like and sounds like. Yeah. I I think there's something about the, I mean, inherently about the character, even, even before Miller, um, that the, the Catholic angle makes sense because he's, he's, from Hell's Kitchen, and his name is Daredevil, um, and so the least likely thing he would be in an alternate reality, or, or as, his, as his alter ego, is is a you know devout, you know mild mannered Catholic. Um, right. Comic books have always done this, where the identity, the secret identity, is is an inversion of the of the superhero right. identity, and and Marvel, I think, plays with it in some really like interesting ways. I mean, obviously, the the, the template is like. Clark Kent, who is the right. literal opposite of Superman, right? Um, right. Where, he's, where he's clumsy and, and struggles to get by and isn't, right. you know, great with the ladies and whatever else, right? <laughs> it's like, it's, it is, it's, it's meant to be this sort of, um, this sort of duality. And the, you know, the other Marvel character who I think is notably Catholic is also the other one who is heavily associated with like demonic look, which is, which is Nightcrawler. It's uh, Kurt Wagner, yeah. right? Totally. And and his Catholicism is also really central to the character, but like right. in a way that is about his personal inner demons and inner struggles and and difficulty with his um, his mutant nature and his exterior and all that sort of thing. Um, but one thing that so you you picked out of what Miller said about it, um, which I want to ask you about because I, I I don't I don't think I quite understand like where this fits in or what exactly he's trying to say here is where he says that um, Daredevil had to be Catholic because only a Catholic could be a vigilante and an attorney at the same time. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> explain what that means exactly. You know, I don't know exactly what it means, but I have theories. Yeah, <laughs> like ahead. I'm still working, I'm still working through it, but like, I love that quote. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, it, you know, maybe to riff off of your, you know, point about, you know, alter egos tend to be this kind of like full inversion of like what the superhero is. Right. So you've got daredevil or sorry. Yeah. Batman, like the gritty, you know, vigilante and like his alter ego is this kind of like carefree playboy kind of guy. Right. Um, I think for, for daredevil though, right. Um, you know, the superhero is a, is a vigilante. The, the actual, you know, like Matt Murdock, the man is also committed to um, the upholding of law and order, right? Like he is a lawyer. So when, when Miller says that daredevil had to be Catholic because only a Catholic could be a vigilante and attorney, I take him to be meaning a few things, right? One that like only someone so devoutly committed to a kind of like, sense of divinely sanctioned moral order would be 
kind of committing both his like inversion, you know, both his superhero and his kind of day job to the upholding of that order. I also think, you know, so that contradiction in terms, like to be both committed to breaking the law and also committed to, to upholding the law, Mm -hmm. um, as you know, as a, as a lover of daredevil leads to Matt Murdock being like a particularly, at sometimes insufferable blend of like self-righteousness and shame <laughs> where, where he both, where he both constantly is like assured of the like black and white, good and evil moral structure of the world that he inhabits, but also like knows that he's violating the law and feels guilty for doing so. And, and, and is ashamed for his inability to kind of like, make the world a more just place. And so he's like constantly um, kind of wrapped in self guilt and shame. And I think that Miller also understands that like, that is like, I mean, it's not like, I don't want to get into kind of like Catholic exceptionalism. It's not like an exclusively Catholic thing, but it certainly is a, you know, it certainly has this distinctive Catholic elements. Right. And like, I think the notion of like Catholic guilt as like, you know, if you asked like a random person, you know, what, you know, what comes to mind when you think about what it means to be Catholic, like guilt is certainly for both Catholics and people who were once Catholic, something that comes up. And I think that like, that is also essential to like Matt Murdock as a character that he has this sense of like, that, you know, this sense of, of, of guilt (laughs) and his like inability to, um, at his inability to to kind of like do the things that he's committed himself to do. Yeah. I also, I mean, it made me think of um, the, the whole kind of New York uh, gangster era, right. Where you have these like Catholic mobsters being chased by Catholic, you know, like G men. (laughs) Right. Um, Right. right. (laughs) And there's the kind of like what unites them is their Catholicism. And it's like, but you know, then where is the, the moral underpinning of your Catholicism. Right. It leads them to, yeah, it leads them to totally different conclusions and ends. Right. But, but at the same time, like they are, it's, it'd be hard to say that a lot of those, you know, like Italian mobsters, um, you know, weren't authentically Catholic and very devout in their, it's, it's, so it's, it is a weird thing. I mean, I, I kind of, yeah, again, I, that's sort of what I took from it as well is that you have to be in order to live that contradiction, right. That, uh, that is, seemingly the same thing as you say um fighting for law and order or whatever uh but fighting the bad guys the the criminals um as both a vigilante uh and an attorney while at the same time being on completely opposite sides of that equation right i i i I get that and I, i get that as a as an observer of catholicism um i i think he's got a interesting point but one of the things i think that that sort of um permeates throughout your your essay here uh for those that don't know who frank miller is again this is one of those kind of contradictory places that we as comic book fans kind of have to live in which is that we all recognize him as one of the most profoundly important um writers uh in the history of the form uh especially recently but also a complete asshole um yeah yeah. who is who is also a fascist and like right right <laughs> but quite dangerous yeah. yeah but the thing is like what he writes and i think this is you sort of make this point without making it in your piece is that the way that he writes 
you certainly see all of that in in how he writes, but he doesn't write from a sort of indoctrination standpoint. He he writes from a I'm going to explore this through this like fascist lens, totally. but also kind of allows readers to interpret it the way that they want to, which is what I've always liked about Miller's yeah. fiction, um, not his nonfiction uh, <laughs> when he not his blog, but his right. uh, his his actual writing. Um, right. You know, I find that really interesting. And so I, I think that, you know, his him writing Daredevil, like one of the reasons that makes him writing Daredevil so good and Batman as well, right, is that there's a lot of space to have that exploration. Um, totally. You, you kind of come down with this conclusion about what it is he's actually saying about Catholicism or like rather the, the, the sort of Catholicism that he is presenting um i should say that you have written a lot about non-white catholicism which I'll, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about in a right, second right. um but explain that conclusion explain like the the what you think um when we say that when we talk about daredevil as a catholic story right like what kind of catholic story are we saying it is like what 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 are, what are its conclusions um about catholicism via matt murdoch yeah, I, I I appreciate that like nuance because I do think, I, I, you know, I, I, again, I love that question at the beginning of what is religion, right? Like we tend to think of religion in these like discrete, easily kind of like isolatable entities, right? And so it's in that context in which people say Matt Murdock is is a Catholic superhero, um, and when we when we call him a Catholic superhero in that sense, the Catholic is totally. <laughs> adrift from like history or social location, right? It's just like, he's Catholic. Um, but when you read um, Daredevil as kind of like, you know, reinterpreted by Frank Miller and then, you know, taken up in the, you know, 40, 50 years since whatever, mm -hmm. um, it's clear that like the kind of, that, that he embodies a particular mode of white Catholic masculinity, right? That it's like a particular meditation on what it means to be Catholic and that um, violence, both the kind of like ability to absorb violence in, you know, his body as a character, but also his like doling it out um, on, you know, evil, evil doers, right? Um, <laughs> is like, I think for Miller is like an essential part of what it means to call him Catholic. And, you know, here I'm, I'm thinking kind of as a historian, right? Where like Miller is, is writing this Catholic character in a context, you know, you know, he starts writing Daredevil in 1979. That's just like five years after kind of white Catholics in Boston are rioting against attempts to desegregate schools, right? Um, where you have, um, you know, that famous image of, you know, white Bostonians kind of, uh, you know, a white Bostonian, like, you know, trying to impale a black man with a American flag, right? Like this mm -hmm. is just happening like a few years before Frank Miller is taking his swing at this, you know, white Catholic superhero. Um, and, and wouldn't you know, like his take on Daredevil is really a meditation on violence and like the ways that violence is essential to what this thing we know as superheroes are. Um, and to your point about, I think your point is, is spot on as far as like how to approach Frank Miller's fiction. Like, I think that particularly in his earlier work, he's, I, I read him as kind of 
offering basically saying like, okay, so you're into, you're into superheroes. Well, well, let's like take all the gloss and sheen off of it and like reveal, you know, show you like what you're into, right? Like yeah. let's, yeah. let's take away the superpowers. Let's take away the, you know, the fancy, you know, gadgets and gizmos and just like give you what a superhero is. What is it? It's like a dude who dresses up and beats the shit out of people um, and gets beaten, you know, to shit as well. Um, and I think that, that, that's what makes this early dare, you know, the early Miller stuff, but Batman and daredevil um, really fascinating because it forces readers or I should say it invites readers to think critically about um, the, you know, what makes a superhero story. I think that what has happened since both for Frank Miller and for the culture is that like people have forgotten, you know, who the, you know, that, that like the celebration of, of that violence is not, or that it's not necessarily a celebration that you're not necessarily supposed to be rooting for the person who may or may not be the protagonist. Like it may, I don't know why this popped into my head, but it made me think about like Dune and, and the kind of reception (laughs) of Dune and how, um, you know, Frank Herbert, you know, has Paul Atreides in Dune as this like critique of, you know, white messianic figures um right and if you've just seen the first movie then you wouldn't know that right yeah you, right you, you, and then you and then you have white supremacists who take that same character and they're like oh look he's the good guy this is great it's yeah. like well wait that, wait a few books yeah yeah right so um like that's that's kind of what i i i read you know miller's take on daredevil to be um a really interesting window into a particular way of embodying Catholicism, um, you know, in a particular moment in time. Um, yeah. and I actually think I, I haven't written about this as much, but like, what's really interesting to me too, is that you have Matt Murdoch, who is this kind of working class Irish Catholic figure. And then at the same time that Miller is rewriting Daredevil, you also have Frank Castle, AKA Francis, um, Castiglione. Castiglione, right? Like, so you have, and you have in the Punisher, uh, an Italian American Catholic figure, though his right. Catholicism isn't anywhere near as central to the character as it is for Daredevil. But you have basically at the same moment in the 1970s and eighties, these two different embodiments of a particular mode of kind of white Catholic descendant of immigrants, mm. white working class descendant of immigrants who is like battling for control of their streets. Right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, happening. And that's, I mean, that's like, you know, so again, like the Catholicism is not quite as central to the character of the Punisher, but that's like literally what daredevil is doing. Right. He like, when, when Frank Miller boils him down to his essence, he's like, what is daredevil? He is this, white Catholic son of a boxer who patrols his parish neighborhood of hell's kitchen. Right. Um, um, where it's just like you, again, like as a, as a religious studies scholar who focuses on Catholicism, I read that and I'm just like, wait, really? Like, this is like really what's happening here, but that it is actually what the story is. Yeah. I I think I want to have a separate conversation with you one day about, about, um, your, your study of, uh, black Catholicism uh, versus white Catholicism, because I think, oh, that's yeah. a, you know, that, I think that would take us in a very different direction. Um, Can I say a quick word on that actually? So the, the quick word I would, so yes, uh, for, 
for listeners, like most of my research up till a couple years ago was on the history of black Catholics in the US. And I I will say that like this, this move that I want to make to say, actually, when we're talking about Daredevil as Catholic, we're not talking about him as Catholic in a generic sense. We're talking about him as a particular kind of white Catholic. Like right. that is something that emerged for me as a scholar of black Catholics, right? Because when you when you are awakened to the fact that, um, you know, if we're talking hemispherically, like the majority of Catholics in the Americas are not in fact the descendant of European immigrants, um, like that immediately starts to force you to rethink what you mean by Catholic. And you, be and you know, just like once you see religion in comics, like you can never stop seeing it. Like once you <laughs> recognize that like to be Catholic is not equivalent to being a particular kind of white, like once you see that, then you can never unsee it. And you notice every time anyone talks about Catholics in the generic sense, but what they really mean is white Catholics. And I think that that tends to be like in the US, we, we tend to have these blinders. It's a little less so the case now with the rise in Latinx Catholicism, but um, you know, we have for a long time in the US had these blinders on where we say the word Catholic, but what we mean is like a particular kind of white. Mm. Um, and um, that, you know, that has not been the case historically, <laughs> that is certainly not the case now. Um, and so that's part of like my mission, you know, as far as, you know, when I'm engaging in the study of white Catholics, white Catholic racism is to, you know, say that word white, <laughs> because like, it's usually implicitly there and not yeah. named. And I think it's like important to name it. Yeah, you know, it's really interesting hearing you say that because there's also a lot to be said about the way that, um, you know, being Catholic disqualified you from whitehood um, at a certain point. Right, in America, right? right. Like if you were, right. if you were Irish or Italian, like you weren't white, that you didn't count. It, it wasn't, you know, you didn't fit, like fit into that racial um, designation. And there's something about sort of, you know, certain Catholics, um, namely Italian and, and Irish immigrant Catholics, who achieved whitehood, right? And so, like, I think that connects a lot to, you know, what you're saying and also sort of what what Miller is depicting um, right. here, uh, especially with um, Matt's father having been a having been a boxer, like a working class totally. boxer, which also actually, while I think of it, <laughs> this is something else I did not know. Um, and and I, that I learned from you, I guess I should have known this. And I guess it kind of makes sense now that I think about it. But the idea of like boxing as a Catholic thing uh, is not something that ever crossed my mind. Before. Yeah, totally. I was gonna say I um, so there's a scholar at Oregon State, um, Amy Collinger, whose research right now is on boxing and Catholic masculinity. And she's like really the nexus for me for this because I, I too, like, like I had thought of boxing as like classed in particular ways, as far mm -hmm. as like, you know, part of Matt Murdoch's kind of like working class roots and his father. But yeah, like the fact that it is actually like, we can talk about a distinctively Catholic dimension to boxing, um, particularly like at the moment, you know, say that Matt Murdoch's dad is, is kind of like, you know, boxing right it, it, it's kind of associated with a particular kind of kind of working class urban catholic community um it's, it's fascinating yeah. that that's where that's definitely like the levels on which where it's like you know somehow subconsciously you you have these ideas that that infuse a character that i imagine like certainly weren't like intentional in the sense that we might think that they would be but are are also these other layers of kind of Spe specific 
Catholicism that show up in characters like Daredevil. Um, so before we wrap up, uh, what do you think is the um, essential uh, Daredevil to read if you're interested in seeing some these these uh, these parallels or, or the way that like Daredevil uh, explores Catholicism or Catholic masculinity? If you're specifically interested in the Catholic angle, I think you've got to read Miller's Born Again, Miller and Masicelli's Born Again. Um, and then I actually think that the current ongoing run written by Chip Zartsky, um, I always butcher his name, but Z-D-A-R-S-K-Y, is, is the mo- I, I think it's the most Catholic in the particular way that I'm talking about Catholicism, like the most Catholic daredevil since Miller. And I actually think that he is, dare I say, like intentionally offering a reading of Miller's daredevil. <laughs> um, so the Zartsky's run um, started a few years back, but you can get the trade. I think it's called um, No Fear like a K-N-O-W, fear. It's a retelling, you know, like, you know how comic books love to do, you know, every comic book artist loves to do their retelling of an origin story. So, <laughs> oh, so I had Frank noticed Miller, that. Yeah. yeah, right. So Frank Miller's Born Again, it's kind of like his uber-Catholic retelling or, you know, of, you know, his his uber-Catholic retelling of, of Daredevil's origin story. Zartsky does his own in No Fear and he tells it, period he kind of intersperses the action with matt murdoch at various stages of his youth in a confessional booth talking confessing his sins to his parish priest um and like miller it's a meditation on violence um but zartsky kind of takes it to completely different conclusions wherein miller like Basically, Murdoch suffers and suffers and suffers and suffers until he, like, dies and is born again as this, like, vigilante who's been purified of, like, you know, everything else. In Zarsky's telling, like, the thing that Murdoch suffers with is this, how do I reconcile myself to feeling like I'm called to battle evil with my fists but the fact that that calls me to like actually like hurt people right mm-hmm. in the world. Um, and, and so he, you know, like I, I've, I've like had this dream of writing a review essay of Zartsky's run and calling it like, you know, Matt Murdock goes to confession because that's like literally what he does in that story. Um, so I, you know, I think that that, that ongoing run, so Zartsky's still writing um, Daredevil and actually I mean, Zarsky had a, had a, you know, was a major, you know, creator before he wrote Daredevil, but, um, I, he is, he has got his run on Daredevil has gotten so popular now that he and Mark, Marco Cicchetto, who's his artist, they're collaborating on like the forthcoming huge Marvel comics event that's about to happen. So that like gives you a sense of like how popular that ongoing run has been is that they've basically given him like the, you know, the keys to the car and letting letting him like run marvel for at least like you know the next year and if um if the rumors are true it looks like 
on screen Matt Murdock is on his way back. I'm really hope that that's true. I really do. I like I like I feel like in this essay that I'm that I'm you know hoping to get out in the world, like it's almost entirely about Miller's take on Daredevil. But like, there's a whole book that could be written on Charlie Cox and Company's kind of iteration of Daredevil mm-hmm. in a Netflix show. And I just I think it's it's so so good. Like for me as just someone who loves Daredevil, like that's up there with, you know, that show, particularly seasons one and three is up there with like the greatest superhero stuff I've consumed and the greatest Daredevil iterations that are out there. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that this kind of multiversal madness will bring <laughs> that Netflix show back into the mix. Well, if the uh, leaked images that have appeared on the internet in the last couple of days are, are genuine and they appear to be, um, then it looks like Charlie Cox is on his way back. Pumped, man. So we'll Pumped. have to find out. <laughs> in next either the next on... trailer <laughs> or yeah. December when Spider-Man, uh, right. the whole world collapses and everybody pops out uh, the movie That's right. or whatever it's called. Uh, it's <laughs> two theaters um, about which I am horrifically excited so uh anyway i hope they title the movie that by the way i hope the movie is called spider-man the one where everybody pops out the one where everything <laughs> collapses and then look it's just called toby mcguire is in it shut up uh and alfred molina's doc ock man oh man yes yeah so good. and apparent so good. apparently also willem dafoe I, that's what it sounds like you can sure hear his voice like and you can see him yeah. in the new poster so oh i haven't seen that oh uh-huh. wow. Okay. I'll, I'll point go. it out to you sometime. Anyways, <laughs> now that we're just nerding out about stuff, um, great talking to you. And uh, yeah. where can people find you on the internet? Yes, on the internet, they can find me at MJ Kressler uh, on Twitter. So M-J-C-R-E-S-S-L-E-R. Um, that, that should suffice. They can find me there. Thanks so much. It was really fun. Uh, Love talking about Daredevil. Um, And let's do it again sometime. Yeah, this is a real pleasure, John. Thank you so much for having me. Love is blindness. I don't want to see. Won't you wrap the night around me?